Welcome to the Startup Help Desk. We are here to answer your questions about starting companies, building companies, and the meaning of life. Your panel here are experienced founders, entrepreneurs, and investors who have worked with hundreds of companies to help along this journey. And today, we're here to help you. My name is Sean Burns. I've been a repeat founder of companies like Flurry and Outlier.ai. I've invested and coached dozens of founders. I work with venture funds, and I also write a newsletter called The Breaking Point. I'm joined by both Nick and Ash. How's it going, guys? Hey, great to be here. This is Nick. I am the co-founder and CEO of a company called Rev. We build tools that help people acquire innovation skills and start companies. This is my second tour of duty in the startup world. My first one was a crypto startup, and so I've been in the crypto space for some time. Uh, I love helping founders and learning from the great ones. All of this has resulted in me spending quite a bit of time learning from Ash and Sean. Uh, thank you both for bringing the magic and having me. Hi, everyone. My name is Ash Rust, and I'm a pre-seed investor based in San Francisco. I mostly invest in B2B companies based in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom through my fund, Sterling Road. And I've also worked at other funds like Trinity Ventures as an entrepreneur in residence and Bullpen Capital as an advisor. Before investing, I was an entrepreneur myself, most notably an early employee at the social media analysis company Clout, as well as the CEO and co-founder of SendUp. These days, I spend most of my time coaching founders, and I've helped more than a thousand startups over the years. And let's all take a moment to reflect on the fact that Ash and Nick, every time we have an episode, they put up with my horrible sense of humor. You guys clearly are showing that startup founder grit that we're known for. So thank you for bringing it and putting it on display here on the podcast. Resilience, folks. Resilience. Hey. <laughs> that's right. Sean, that's, that sense of humor keeps us coming back. So there's some evidence that it's working. It does something. I thought it was the recession. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording this in July 2022, folks. It's the recession that's bringing us back. Don't listen to their lies. Oh, it's too good. Uh, the, the startup podcast pays the bills. Okay, Nick, what is first up on our queue of questions? And a reminder to everyone, these questions were asked by founders and people just like you. If you have a question, find us on Twitter, the Startup HD, or find us on the web, thestartuphelpdesk.com. You can ask questions. We will answer your questions just like these. So Nick, what's first up on our queue today? Let's do it. This is a great one. So how do you know when you found product market fit? Oh man, that is first off. Let's let, product market fit is a term uh, that goes back many years. It was popularized by Mark Andreessen, uh, but it wasn't created by him. It essentially refers to the moment when your business is really working. You transition from trying to f explore what's working, finding the right formula, to the point where okay, now it's time to start growing. Now it's time to start really accelerating forward, and it's somewhat amorphous. And so, what most people will tell you is, you'll know you'll know when you find product market fit, which I find to be really unfulfilling as an answer because like, what does that even mean? And it is true, by the way, I found product market fit a few times and it is true, but it's very unfulfilling. So the second one people will tell you is when the business is pulling you instead of you pushing it. When customers are coming to you, things are growing, things are moving. That's better, but it's still not really helpful as a founder. And so finally, people will talk about the point when you're really having trouble keeping the lights on. The customers are coming in so fast that your servers are overheating and you're having trouble keeping customers in. That's actually a very specific kind of product market fit called hypergrowth. It doesn't happen to everyone. So instead, my recommendation is I use a, a framework um, where essentially what you're doing is you're looking for a buyer who has a use case or a problem that you can solve. 
at a specific price point with reliable channels to reach that person. So if you're a mobile app, it's a specific kind of user. Maybe it's Gen Z. They have a problem. Maybe they want to connect with each other. The price might be free and the channel you're reaching them is Facebook ads. And if that works reliably and you can grow, you've found product market fit. Or you're an enterprise company. Your buyer is a CMO. The problem they have is trying to understand attribution. The price you're willing to pay is $100,000 a year and you can reach them through outside sales, maybe email marketing, whatever it is, if you have those four things, product market fit kind of lives in the, in the middle. And you can have a buyer and a problem where the price doesn't work for you or the channels don't work. But if you have those four things, you really have started to find product market fit. It's just really hard to get those four things to line up. You often have three or two of them. Like you might have a great buyer, a great problem and a good price, but you have no channel to reach them reliably. So you have to have those four things. But that's a very general kind of framework I use, Ash. You see a lot more companies than I do. Any specifics on what people can look at? Yeah, so I like to bring in some measurements on this one. And usually software is transferred by a referral. So uh, it's not necessarily going to be the Dropbox-esque email referral system where you're tracking a certain amount of new storage that you get for every referral that you send out. But most software that you find is going to be coming through some kind of personal recommendation. If you look at the apps on your phone, that's where it's coming from. So the rate of referral per user is a very important indicator. If you're seeing a new referral come in for every two new customers you have, that is a good indicator that people genuinely like what you've built for them and they're using it. The NPS score is a really good pulse check. It's not necessarily the best measurement of customer satisfaction. And remember, it's not just an average out of 10. You need to do the calculation properly. But if you've got an NPS score over 50, that's usually a good indicator that you have a product that people are using and and enjoying and it's solving a problem for them. I much prefer as an investor, uh, customer engagement. That's one of the best indicators. So daily active usage, I would say weekly active usage is something that a lot of founders like to look at, but I don't like it. I don't think it's nearly enough. I think you want want people to be using your product at least two or three times a week. The ideal, of course, is they're using it five days a week if uh, uh, if they're a, if it's a, a business product or in, you know, in their professional lives. Uh, and then some maybe softer elements that you might start to see as you get into product market fit is feature requests from existing customers. So your existing heavy usage customers are asking more of you because they are very happy, they trust you, they want to pay you more to solve more of their problems. And then gratitude emails. So if you're getting inbound emails to your support help desk that are uh, people just excited about the product, saying how grateful they are, saying thank you, those obviously you should be sharing with the team because they're very motivating, but they're also an indicator of product market fit. So On the measurement side, things like referrals, NPS score, and engagement are the things that you should be looking at specifically. Uh, And then on the softer side, uh, things like feature requests and um, and happy emails from customers are other good indicators. So Ash, question for you. The reason that I include channels in my framework is that you can have all the things you mentioned and just have a very small base of really happy early test users, but no way to grow. No real way to find more people like that, that you can really scale into a growth mechanic. So you have something that works and makes people happy, but if you don't have the ability to really turn up the juice and the go-to-market motion to reach more of them, you're kind of stuck. And I feel like there's a lot of companies that check all those boxes, but they don't have that growth mechanic that can scale. 
I think that's reasonable. I do think that you should start in a niche and it can be a quite a narrow niche. And that's a solid foundation from which you can base further scaling by perhaps adding new features, changing messaging, uh, adding new product lines for the broader market. But I'm a big believer in starting off with a niche. It definitely gets people trapped, especially if they've only uh, developed a referral marketing system, then it can uh, be very difficult to, to grow in a new market. But if you've uh, develop things like content outreach, you're going to conferences, it should be reasonably easy to expand your product line and your customer base. That's the hope. Fair enough. And there you go, everybody. The definitions of product market fit being inconsistent. My definition includes that growth mechanic ashes does not. And that's fine. That's how it is. These sorts of things are not specific definitions. You can grow every which way. Some companies actually find distribution before they figure out their product. And that's always a magical thing to watch when that happens. So product market fit, if you found it, apparently you'll know it. But Ash had a lot of very good suggestions. And you're welcome to use my framework as well. Cool. Let's get to more questions because it turns out founders have lots of questions. Ash, what else is on our question queue for today? This is coming up a lot right now, especially as the easy fundraising dries up. So how do you know when it's time to pivot or that you just haven't spent enough time on your existing strategy? How do you know when it's time to pivot? Great question. And this is very on theme, fitting the product market fit conversation. Generally speaking, you need to be in a constant state of learning from your customers and prospective customers. And so... One way to know that it is time to pivot is if you've been continuously talking to customers, so you've spoken to tons of them, and if what you are saying is not resonating or if your product is not solving their problem, that's a pretty strong indicator. Ultimately, this process of customer discovery and then delivering the first versions of your product is iterative. And so you want to be able to continuously learn from your customers and figure out if you're on the right track. The key here is to get objective evidence that you are indeed on the right track. So objective evidence is not people saying nice things to make you feel good. Objective evidence typically is some easy-to-measure signal that you're on the right track. So if you have a paying customer that keeps wanting more and they tell you that they can't live without your solution, that's a good sign. If you don't have that, that can be a pretty strong signal that you need to keep digging and ultimately potentially pivot. Uh, with that though, Sean, what's your take on this? Well, well, Nick, let's say hypothetically you have a podcast answering questions about startups, but there is no paying tiers. So there's no paying customers. What do you look at to see if that podcast needs to pivot to something new, maybe covering Web3 or stick with it? Well, the general theme is that you should always be in a constant state of pivoting into Web3. And so <laughs> that is uh, always, always in season. Uh, that being said, though, of course, one thing to be looking for is are people recommending the podcast to others? Are they ultimately submitting more questions? And is there a pretty uh, clear demand people calling for more? So if you keep hearing your users ask for more, it's a good sign. There you go. Everyone who's listening right now, you should recommend this podcast so I can prove to Nick that we have product market fit and that we should yes. not pivot. The last I, I really thought do... we were talking about an NFT mint then for a whole <laughs> four or five minutes. Are we not getting are we not getting profile pictures? <laughs> this is I, I, all these promises I just, that I was made folks, I was made a lot of promises offline. 
None of them are coming true. If you see a drop off in my motivation, you know where it's coming from. <gasps> there you the, go. the profile there you picture go. was uh, was part of the deal. There's no doubt about that. Right. We I want something if- Gucci. It better be great, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> If everybody saw what I looked like, we'd have fewer subscribers. But back to the question about pivoting versus not pivoting, I want to just emphasize this is the hardest question that all founders face because I actually will will go so far as to say there's no objectively correct answer. I've known founders that have struggled for, for over seven years building something that they really believed in and were left with nothing but credit card debt at the end. And there's other founders where you struggle for many years and you break through and it becomes some sort of apocryphal legend. Like my first company at Flurry, it was a good three or four years before we found explosive growth. And it would have been really easy to give up ahead of that growth. But it also, we could have easily in an alternative universe not found it. So it's really hard. All I can share, having been on both sides of it, is first, you need to stay excited. If you're passionate about it, that's important. The minute you start to lose your excitement, there's too many other things you could be doing. And if the excitement starts to wane, it's usually part of your subconscious telling you that maybe this isn't as great as you think it is. It's also a lot easier to answer this question if you start with a problem instead of a solution. So if you start with a problem someone has, like going back to our CMOs and attribution and that problem is something they really, really want somebody to solve and they don't have a good solution yet. It's just a question of can you find a solution that works for them? That's a lot easier question than saying, I have this product, it can do all this stuff. I just need to find somebody who needs it. It's it's really hard in that world because you fall in love with the product. You like the product, you've invested in the product, you want it to work, versus being invested in a problem that you're solving, in which case you can have many different solutions, but you're sure that problem is there and problem is real. But whatever you do, this is a question that until you find product market fit, you should be asking every few months. Because it is true, there's companies that spend years pursuing bad ideas. You literally waste years of your life on bad ideas or dead ends. And so ask this question over and over again, because we don't want to see anyone wasting their time. Uh, but Nick, did I miss anything? I mean, you, we've all been through this sort of journey a few times. Is there anything else that you do when you're in your journeys to try to make sense of it all? That's so good. I think that, of course, starting with a hair on fire problem is very frequently a solution uh, to this journey. And so if you are tackling a meaningful problem, it gives you a really strong foot planted on the ground. And so part of this innovation journey is you are firmly planted in solving a specific problem, often for a specific market or type of customer. And then ultimately, part of this is then iterating. So you do have that strong plant foot and you are then looking for the right way to solve this problem for one customer and then more and then at scale. And so starting with a great problem is huge. Another thing to keep in mind is that if you do decide that you need to pivot, then there's a few options. One is to solve the same problem for the same customers, but in a different way. And so generally speaking, you're looking at pivoting your solution. Another option is to solve the same problem, but for a different market. Uh, perhaps the initial market you're solving for is not big enough, or those customers don't feel the pain point strongly. So on this journey, also be thoughtful about what does a pivot mean? A pivot often can mean you've unearthed something, some unique insight about an opportunity, and it's time for you now to test and investigate a change that could be able to solve this problem in the right kind of way. 
As a quick short story for everyone, my last company, LR.AI, when we started, it was a software platform using machine learning to find insights in large data sets. And my thesis and all of our customer development research told me that the best customer was going to be small startup companies because they can't hire analysts and therefore outlier.ai could become their analyst, their virtual analyst analyzing their data. And we got all of the feedback. People thought it was going to be great. We launched it and it was an abysmal failure because it turns out small companies just don't have time to deal with what's in front of them, let alone some insights we would provide to them. And so we ended up eventually finding much better. We pivoted then to selling to large companies, enterprise companies, Fortune 500 customers, where we found very strong product market fit. But it's in the end, sometimes pivots are small, sometimes they're big, but often the things that you think you know in the early days may not prove true as you scale. So you have to revisit them in the end. Well, we have time for one more question. Let's keep going down the queue. And the last question we have here um, is a great one. Uh, how far in the future should you be planning? Ash, you've coached more founders than any of us. What's the answer, man? How far should we be planning? I have trouble planning for like tomorrow. Yeah, I actually prefer more of a focus on the short term than most people. I think a lot of the times startup advice is going to be telling you about uh, planning out for two years, that your projections that investors want to see need to be two to five years out. I don't believe in any of that. I want to see a big vision, but any startup plans that are more than a year out are honestly, in my opinion, just an exercise and they'll be miles away from reality. So I like to spend the bulk of the time focusing on uh, plans that are going every two weeks. I don't really like weekly planning because I think it's hard to make good progress, but every two weeks and then monthly goals, I think are is a good central structure for your company. I like to set quarterly goals because they are the best for measuring your real growth over time. Startups obviously have a lot of volatility, especially in around things like revenue when they're just getting started. So looking at your general growth over a three-month period does give you a clearer indicator of whether or not you're succeeding. And then maybe planning further out up to a year in terms of what you're hoping for, for your next fundraise or for your next large milestone. That makes sense. But I really do believe that one year is the maximum distance for most companies up to maybe three or four million in annual revenue. Because again, after that, it's just a hilarious journey of imagination, in my opinion. Yeah, that, that feels spot on. You know, I like to, I do like to think about startups when it comes to long term planning in the 12 to 18 month range, primarily because it's cathartic. As a startup founder, of course, we're thinking big and we're imagining you know, tectonic shifts and us being able to change the world. And so as part of that too, we've got a bunch of big ideas. And so in my opinion, one can be able to do some long-term planning just to get those ideas down and to be able to now operate in the short term unencumbered by those long-term plans. And it's also important to keep in mind when you're thinking about those long-term plans, and Ash made a note of this, often financial projections and things that fit into that kind of world it's so um, fiction-filled when it comes time to shape a financial projection over the course of 12 to 18 months when you're generating no revenue today. And so it's important to actually be setting some objective goals that you know, can actually be tracked and be realistic. So for instance, perhaps an objective goal could be a customer growth goal, um, some product goals, but 
big feature milestones and with feature milestones being the only goals, it's typically a bad sign. And perhaps you have some hiring goals as well. So you can think long-term primarily because, again, we want to think ambitiously, uh, but you want to be able to operate in the short term without having to really continuously think about the big picture. And then, as Ash mentioned, it really is all about defining very specific milestones, uh, either once every two weeks, monthly, quarterly, and being laser-focused on hitting those. So my model, set a long plan, start small. Well, hang on, Nick. What you're saying is that the um, that basically founders will do three to five year planning rather than go to therapy. Yeah, that is the uh, that is the current way that it happens. May not be That's the right literally way. Your recommendation. I just want to make sure we're not rolling that back or anything. We're just telling people that that's an okay policy. Um, Don't send out my Twitter handle right now. Now is not the time for this. Nick Melionis. That's right. Uh, but that's right. Guys, here's a question for you. So Nick and Ash, is there a difference in the early stages between setting goals and planning? Or are they the same thing at the early stages? I think people love to make plans. I think goals are very, very different. I think that people like to create some kind of imaginary end state of uh, some corporate utopia uh, in terms of what they're going to be delivering to customers and how that's going to feel. But from my perspective, I think that goals are you setting a specific amount of expected progress and a deadline, and that's much, much harder to do than planning. I think that goals come from plans. Goals should be a big part of plans, but they're definitely not the same. It's a good way to look at it. Ultimately, set a plan and know that very likely it's going to change dramatically as you are reaching and achieving the more meaningful goals that you set forth. The reason I ask is, is I find a lot of companies, early stage founders, they waste a lot of time going through what I'll call the theater of business. They, they run the business the way they think businesses are supposed to be run, creating plans and spreadsheets and all of it's a waste of time because it isn't really a business yet until it actually gets to product market fit. And so it's always easy to lose and waste time. And that's probably why I asked about that. But appreciate the insight after all. And of course, here in the podcast, we're in the business of theater. This is entertainment. So remember, all of the advice you hear here is worth exactly what you paid for it, which is lots, lots and lots and lots. Premium, premium advice. There it is. Depending yep. on your personal hourly rate, of course, and the 20 <laughs> minutes that you just wasted with us. Uh, waste is such a strong word. We'd like to say invested in this business. Invested <laughs> in the NFT of time. Oh, with that, we're out of time Perfect. now. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully these answers were useful. If they were not, ask better questions in the future. Find us online at thestartuphelpdesk.com or on Twitter at thestartuphd. We'd love to answer your questions in a future episode. As always, Ash and Nick, it was a great time. Yeah, thank you both. Absolute blast. Yeah, we also need to get a tip TikTok account, folks, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's coming. Don't worry. Yeah, we'll talk about it this way. If we don't find product market fit, we will devolve into a TikTok dancing channel and nobody wants that. So subscribe, share. We'd love to see you back here at the Startup Help Desk in the future. And until then, good luck in building your business. Mm-hmm.